If you're not an entrepreneur as a journalist these days, you should get out of journalism. But two things that people like to say to women are, you're so mean, or you think you're so special. You know, I've had that said to me many times. I'm always like, yes, I'm mean, and I'm special. It's been glaringly obvious that the Sausage Fest of Silicon Valley has to stop. Kara Swisher is one of the most fearless journalists we know. She's founder of Recode Media, the Recode Conference, and she's a doyen of tech journalism in Silicon Valley. We brought her to Sydney last month to talk about media. I'm Kate Golden from the Walkley Foundation. You're listening to a special series of Walkley Talks podcasts where we share all the best parts of Storyology, our journalism festival. You're going to hear Takara talk, and then you'll hear a Q&A with Mark Fennell of the popular Aussie tech podcast, Download This Show. It's great. Here you go. I am an entrepreneur. Um, a lot of journalists aren't, and that's a big issue in journalism now. Because if you're not an entrepreneur as a journalist these days, you should get out of journalism. Um, you have to think about the business. You have to think about the economics. You have to think about the changing ways of distribution in a way that you never used to have to before. And you have to stop relying on your bosses to figure it out for you, largely because most of them are way too old and way too antiquated to understand um, what's happening. And so you really have to seize uh, an ability to really uh, become an entrepreneur um, there's words that they use in Silicon Valley, uh, report-trepreneur, um, which I hate. I think it's the worst term I've ever heard. Um, but uh, but it's, it's around, it, it, that's the right uh, idea to think about. And so that's why I call it um, Diary of a Mad Journalist. Um, I like being an entrepreneur. It's the best thing I've ever done. I had a long career before I came to... Um, uh, to where I am. I worked at the Wall Street, uh, Washington Post. I started there. I had a very traditional career, worked my way up, then went to the Wall Street Journal, worked my way up. And both places, they wanted to keep promoting me into more managerial positions. Um, and I'm glad I never, I didn't. Um, but I'm someone who had a very traditional career and one that was in the United States considered successful. I didn't, which is why I left um, the Wall Street Journal a couple years, many years ago in the 2007 to start All Things D and then to start, um, to start Recode. Uh, with some investment money from NBC and some media investors. So, um, so I'm very traditional and yet have broken away, and I'm telling you, you need to do that right now. So I'm going to go through this um, so I can see it too. Um, I'm going to go through some trends that I think you, you have to pay, be paying attention to as, as people in the media. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about some others like self-driving cars, drones, and artificial intelligence, which I'm, I don't have in this presentation. But when Mark talks to me, I'm really interested in artificial intelligence uh, right now. All right, um, <coughs> the internet needs to shut the fuck up. I don't know how else we can put it, but people talk about the internet like it's a thing the way they might talk about a TV show. I mean, sorry, excuse me, a telephone or a car. You don't talk about a car's engine. You never talk about a car's engine. You did not get up this morning and say, and turn on the blow dryer to blow dry your hair and say, ah, oh, the electrical grid, I'm enjoying it quite a lot. You don't think about it, it's invisible. But we endlessly talk about the internet and this, the internet, and that. We have to stop doing this because the internet is not, doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter how it's being distributed. It's the next medium. It's just what it is. Um, and the internet's not the issue. It's the content that's flowing over it. Obviously, you have to understand how the internet works, but it's no more important than the way a car works or the way electricity works or anything else. So it's got to, it, we're moving into an era where it is going invisible, but no one loves to talk about the internet more than journalists and the, the medium, and it's, it's got to stop. Um, I think the most successful companies um, are people that are aimed at normal people, which I call the normals. 
Um, I think the next stage in continuum will be about feelings and not technology. The technology has taken center stage. Um, and the narrative, feel, by feelings I mean narrative. Um, narrative and stories. I think one of the people the other night at dinner was asking why we're so successful. It's because I say we tell great stories. It really doesn't matter how we tell our great stories. We continue to t tell great stories and we adapt them to the, uh, the medium we're using. And whatever the medium is, we, we adapt to it. But most of the successful companies coming down the road, something like a Snapchat, that is very much about feelings, communications, the technology gets out of the way, and the, and the, and the product uh, shines in what it does well. Um, I'm of the belief that as a, as a creator of a product, you do have to think of these things as products. Um, you have to either be useful to people, or such as Facebook, if you find that useful, I don't. But um, Twitter is useful to me, but I'm a journalist. Uh, it's not useful to a lot of people, which is why it's in a free fall. Um, it, it's got to be useful or entertaining, or both would be great. That would be fantastic. I think something like Snapchat is both, and so therefore it's very successful among young people. Um, I call it the human age. This is my favorite. I love this. <laughs> now we're like this. We're like even worse with our phones. Uh, we have to start standing up, really. It's getting a little bit depressing. Um, so here are the key trends. I'm going to go through them very fast. Um, I'm not, you can look at that, but I'll go through them each. So um, uh, BuzzFeed, which is not as doing quite as well as when I started doing this thing, but it's actually still a really important um, company to think about. The, the reason I have this up here, this was from the last Olympics. Um, Katy Perry, the halftime show, maybe it was the Super Bowl, I forget. Um, but this was just a, a picture of only a couple of the 21 stories they did about Katy Perry's halftime shark incident. Um, the reason I put this up there, because I was sort of horrified and admiring at the same time of BuzzFeed to have done this, but they put different stories up here that would, you know, they, they were testing what readers wanted. And you could see them doing that here in real time. And they just, you know, they, what they have, if you've never been to their, uh, to their office, they've got like a, it's almost like a, a factory floor of, of hipster millennials that put out these things. Um, one of my favorite was the 23 most important moments in left shark history. The entire thing lasted 21 seconds, okay? So they had 23 moments, though. Um, and so you can see 18 things the left shark was totally thinking. that He wasn't thinking anything. The guy was one of Katy Perry's actually very hot. Which, which Katy Perry halftime show shark are you? That was a poll. Um, they were A-B testing these endlessly and literally, you know, you know, uh, you know, forcing their millennials to come up with this crap. Um, but it is crap, but nonetheless, you have to think like this. You have to think about how to, what kind of presentations. We spent a lot of time at Recode on headlines and on how we present stories. It doesn't affect the narrative of the story, but we are always thinking. So you've got to be thinking about this. Whether you, it doesn't mean you have to, this, you can't, uh, it doesn't mean it has to be superficial. It means you have to be thinking of how you present things and how people are, are, are getting them, because they're all getting everything on their mobile devices, and so you have to be able to catch their attention. Even, it's not, it doesn't mean they're not going to read a long story. It means you've got to catch their attention. Um, <laughs> I'm old. This is a, a Clockwork Orange. Uh, this is the Google Glass. Um, it will be ubiquitous. You have to think beyond mobile. Um, I think one of the things, people insulted Google Glass a lot, and it was just an abominable device. It really is. I have one, and I've used it once. Um, the reason this device failed is not because of the conceptual idea behind it wasn't absolutely correct. It is absolutely correct. It's like one of the early cell phones that just didn't get it quite right. Apple had a bunch of them, um, the Newton and others. The Newton was right. It was the wrong device at the wrong time. Um, but the concept was correct. Um, so what's interesting about um, 
this idea is that you have to think about things being ubiquitous, that we are going to have glasses, we're going to have things in front of our faces, we're going to have things um, that are omnipresent. It won't be the cell phone, um, although that device will continue. Um, so you have to be thinking about ubiquity and then how you reach consumers when, when devices are ubiquitous. Right now it's that, that, and then later it will be some sort of eye device, not this one. This one, um, the problem with this device is that it, you reacted to it rather than it reacting to you. It's a very simple thing, um, but the people at Google are all robots or aliens, and so they don't understand how humanity actually lives and works, and so they couldn't make a device to save their lives um, that would, anybody would want to use. Um, you look at the recent success of Amazon with the Echo. Jeff Bezos knows about consumers. Um, the Echo is a, a great device. Why didn't Google make it? Because Google doesn't know anything about communicating with human beings. Um, so, um, but in any case, you have to think about ubiquity. Um, this was funny, this was on Secret. Do you remember Secret a long time ago? I don't know if you did. It, was, it came and went, it was a hot startup and then it wasn't. Um, but I was thinking about brand. This was someone putting a secret up that they only have sex with people who use Uber and Lyft, I guess. Um, so you've gotta be thinking about brand all the time. Um, you've gotta, we think very hard about the Recode brand whenever we do everything and everything is done in the Recode brand style. You have to, every, you've gotta establish what the brand is and make it very clear to readers in this environment. Everyone knows what Recode stands for. Tough journalism, no holds bars, incredibly fair, and accurate, accurate, accurate. That's what we're known for, and also ethical. Like, we don't, we're not cheerleaders, we're not snarky, we're right, and we're tough. And so that, everything we do, our podcasts, our events, our, our coverage has that. We hire people who have that attitude. Everything, people know when they get Recode what they're getting. They're not surprised by it, and they're actually, they want that. They want what they want. You have to know what your brand is, and you've got to, you can't be milk toasty. So many newspapers, so many meteorizations, I have no idea what they stand for. They're just because they happen to be in a city, you know, whatever newspaper it is. Right recently, the Washington Post has really changed itself quite dramatically by really having an attitude under Marty Baron. Um, of tough political coverage. They've had a, you know, a cornucopia of, of luck, and not luck with Donald Trump, um, but they've decided to just attack him, and that's what they're doing, and they're doing a great job of it. It's, it's excellent attacking, and they're, 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 they're sticking with it, and so I go to them when I want to read Donald attacks on Donald Trump, which he, he manages to do all by himself. I am not gonna talk about Donald Trump. I apologize for the United States of America. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Oh my God. Um, it will be geolocated. You have to be thinking of where people are getting their information. This is an old meme from the internet, from it's all your bases are belong to us. Um, but you have to be thinking about geolocation and where you're delivering and when you're delivering information. You can get this information all the time. We, for some reason, six o'clock at night on the, on the West Coast is when people really read Recode. I don't know why, but you need to be aware of it. Um, obviously, news stories, um, uh, and where they read it, and how they read it, and what devices. You have to understand where everything is coming from so that you can format it. Um, if you should be first lo looking about, it, for example, how your stories look in mobile, not on the website. Recode, only 10% of our traffic comes through the website. Most of it comes sideways through phones and other things like that. And so we think about that all the time. We, we don't, the, the idea of a, a main website of your publication is just, you don't, no one cares. Um, it will never turn off. This is another big trend. Um, there, a Microsoft researcher many years ago said something to me that stuck with me, which is we're all in a state of continuous partial attention. I think we know what that means. Um, 
Uh, I often end speeches by saying I leave you to your own devices, and I mean that. Um, I have a really close relationship with my iPhone. It's over there. I'm very upset it's over there. Um, but I, I, I was holding a BlackBerry when I had a baby, and I'm not going to go into that story, but I love my devices. Um, but it doesn't turn off. It's always on. It's always available. I know you all have phones next to your beds. I know you look at them first thing in the morning. I know you pick them up nine times during the night. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't turn off. So as a consumer, you have to be constantly available. You can't have this publishing cycle on your terms. You have to have it on the terms of... Um, of, uh, of people who are reading. And, and one of the things that's important is to think of what your readers are doing just by looking at your own behavior. Um, this is an interesting thing. It means a dog will be... This is the original... Um, it, this is the, the one on the, on the Internet, and nobody knows you're a dog. It was a really famous New Yorker cartoon. Now everybody knows who you are. So you have to be really genuine in this new environment and very transparent of who you are. Um, you have to be... Um, you know, some some media is really good at um, at, at being um, present for readers. I'm really good. I answer every Twitter message. People are surprised. I have about 1.1 million followers, most of whom are, I'm sure, bots. But there's a lot of them. And so you you have to again present your same brand, your same genuineness everywhere you go, because everybody knows who you are. It's very hard to hide. Now, there's a lot of anonymousness. Obviously, Twitter can be a cesspool of that. Um, but or, or in other places, but you really do have to present a genuine uh, picture of yourself in these mediums because your digital self is yourself now. Um, some corporations are really good at this. Virgin America is quite good. Um, there's a bunch of others that do a really good job at being uh, present and being genuine in where they are, but it's critically important for journalists to be this um, and to use these mediums to communicate with people. Um, when I first started at the Washington Post, I put my email at the bottom of the Washington Post um, story I wrote, and I I'll never forget, reporters were like, why are you doing that? Readers will write you. And I was like, you're an idiot. Get away from me. Like, they don't want to hear from writers. You have to be listening to the feedback cycle almost continually. The story starts when it's published, and then it goes on from there. Um, we do that all the time, and we get, we get some really great results from that. Um, the same thing about it will always on, it will always be transmitting. There's always a feedback. Like I said, there's constant feedback cycle, and I think reporters write a story and then they move on. You cannot do that. A really good example is my Yahoo reporting. I decided it was a telenovela from, from a Spanish telenovela, and I, I, I wrote it like that. Oh, now what's that crazy CEO doing? What is that happening next? Now this character, I created, I created a narrative out of it, out of truth, um, and great reporting, and, and, and kept the con consistent storyline going for a long time which was when it started, I was like, this CEO is incapable of running this company. I know, I covered her at Google. She's never had a P&L. People hated her there. She has no way, she managed seven people. Now she's managing 14,000. That might be an issue. Um, and I kept saying the same things throughout the entire thing. Now, what happened was when I first started covering, and I'd covered Google since its founding, so I did know all the characters really well. I had that advantage. Um, but what I did there is I kept consistent with it throughout and, and, bird, and then kept adding on layers and layers of great reporting, proving my case, essentially, which I was, it was, it was all based on real reporting. And at, when we began to do that at Recode, um, a lot of reporters were like, oh, you're so mean. They love to do that to women. You're so mean. Like, I'm going to back off. Um, you know, it's really funny. But two things that people like to say to women are, you're so mean or um, you think you're so special. You know, I've had that said to me many times. I'm always like, yes, I'm mean, and I'm special. So, um, so, uh, so anyway, so we have to, I, I was always transmitting the story. This, I only, this only makes me laugh because the guy was actually tweeting from a urinal um, or communicating from a urinal. But um, 
it's really important to do it. We did the same thing in the Ellen Pow trial, which was a great story for Recode. We had two reporters there. I decided we were going to cover it like it was the Super Bowl. We just literally, we had four stories a day, and they were all different, all interesting. We did a live blog, we did opinion pieces, we did uh, interview pieces, we did everything, because we decided this issue of women in technology and diversity was really important. It's been glaringly obvious that the sausage fest of Silicon Valley has to stop. And so we wanted to, we had a, we had a, we had a, we were crusading in it, but it was a trial that was happening that proved some of the things that a lot of people knew. And so we covered it like a narrative, a story, a, a something that readers could follow. And I think the problem is a lot of places cover things individually and don't link them together. Well, we spend a lot of time uh, doing that now um, on lots of topics, and we pick them and we, we do that. Um, you have to be thinking about wearables. I know they're stupid right now. They're not working. Isn't that funny? That was a funny tweet. Um, I don't even know what that means, but I like it. Um, so uh, you have to be thinking of constant um, um, about where it's going to be on your body. There's going to be all kinds of ways people get information. The other night, for some reason, on the TV, there was the the, the Tom Cruise movie. Um, it's, uh, it's one where he's the cop in the future. Um, Minority Report. I try not to watch any Tom Cruise movies when I can, but this happens to be a good one, and I just ignore his body moving through it. Um, so... <laughs> I know how you feel. He was mean to Nicole. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so that was a really important thing. Is that it was? It was. There's going to be all kinds of gloves. That, that what was happening in that movie. A lot of it is coming true today. But it's you watch that again because there's all kinds of devices they use there that I think you have to be thinking about gloves and moving of information and. When he walks into the gap and it says to you, hello, Mr. Takamura, did you enjoy the capri pants or whatever? Um, so you have to be thinking about wearables. And it's really hard to imagine transmitting information in the wearable environment, but we have to start thinking because it, mostly it's going to be around here where media is going to have to um, do, but also in the ear. I am a huge fan of the Amazon Echo. You don't have that here yet. When it comes here, get it immediately, and you will understand where voice um, is going. Voice communication with readers and audience is really important. Um, we're thinking hard about how we should be on the Amazon Echo right now because it's a wonderful device. It's the first time where voice really works in a really profound and easy and fun way. Um, it, it's astonishing that Apple and Google do not have a competing product, um, but Jeff Bezos is super innovative and he's come up with something um, that allows you to shop, it allows you to play music, play news, play all kinds of things. There's a thing called skills, which are very much like apps on it. Um, there's even an app to compliment yourself. So you say, tell me something good about myself, and it says, Kara, you look fantastic today, and stuff like that. So it's just really, it can be very innovative and fun for media companies to think about the way they can participate in a voice-activated environment. Um, I, I still haven't thought about what I should do, what we should do there yet, um, Recode should do, but it's probably around our podcasts, uh, maybe shorter versions or something else, great quotes or I don't know what. But, um, but you have to be thinking about wearables. Um, Again, have you ever taken a naked selfie? Yes, of course we all have. Um, it will make you expose yourself. Again, you have to be transparent with your readers. You cannot be hiding. You can't go around as a journalist and try to find out everything about everybody else and not talk about yourself and your methods. We spend a lot of time discussing our methods, how we do things, how we get to things. We're not secretive. Uh, the dinner I was out the other night, a uh, very nice guy from Google was like, okay, this is off the record. I'm like, not me. I'm not off the record. And so you can't ever be off the record. You have to really be honest and clear with readers, with your audience, with your own employees about what you're doing. We spent a lot of time doing that at Recode. It used to be, I grew up in an environment where there was the top-down management system. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work with millennials, for sure. Um, they have their own particular issues sometimes, but um, 
they love titles. I don't know why. They love titles. I don't give any, I don't give anyone titles at Recode very much. I give them the same title, and they think I trick them because they're like, "Oh, that's a great title." I'm like, "Everyone has it." Okay, um, but um, but they um, you have to really be transparent throughout the organization. Really hard for a lot of journalists and managers of journalists uh, to be, but it's very important to include everybody. There's ideas everywhere. There's talent everywhere, and you really have to be open-minded towards that. Um, analog. Uh, that's soy, which is disgusting. But I like this now with more girls. Soylent Green, the original story, you're probably too young, but it was a movie with Charlton Heston where they made crackers out of people. That's really pretty much it. And then he dies, and his last line is, Soylent Green is people. Um, and uh, now they made this. And when I went met with the founders of Soylent, I said, oh, it's a really funny, ironic title for your company. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, what? Like, you don't even know that it's people? I said, Soylent Green is people. And they were complete, they didn't understand. I was weird. So they just made it by themselves. Um, in any case, in food, food technology is enormous where things are going, uh, um, all kinds of um, car technology, AI, all kinds of things, the Internet of Things, the Internet of the Home. This is a really big area. And again, we have to, as journalists, we should be writing about it and the effects on society because a lot of what's coming down the pike is really significant. Uh, it's not a photo app, let's just say. Self-driving cars are a major change in the way we live on this planet. Um, the healthcare stuff is a major change the way we live on this planet. Um, privacy, all the issues that are coming up are super serious, um, I think, compared to what's been going on before, which seems a little sillier. Um, it's great, you know, uh, all this stuff is great and it's nice to have all these communications tools, but what's being developed now, I think, is a lot more serious and, and problematic for societies such as AI. Um, we recently had Elon Musk on stage at uh, Code. He's a strange man and a terrific interview. Um, he talked about space, obviously, and he talked about Tesla. Tesla. He calls it Tesla. Kara, it's Tesla. Um, but it's Tesla to me. Um, so he, and then he started talking about AI, which I think is a real concern to him, and the power of AI and where it's developing, how quickly it's developing. They're going to replace every job. Computers are going to replace it. They can become journalists. There's already tests in that area. Um, there's not any job almost that cannot be replaced by a computer going forward. And as these computers get more intelligent, more self-aware, there's all kinds of implications on society, not necessarily the Terminator end, which is entirely possible. Um, we're going to do that all by ourselves, I think. We don't need a computer to help us do that. Um, we're just going to elect Donald Trump. Um, so, uh, but I think there is some question about, about who owns the power, who owns the AI. Elon has start, started something called OpenAI. Um, he's trying to combat the power of Google and Facebook and maybe Amazon in this area. A very small group of companies will own AI um, right now, and it's very dangerous. Um, they, of course, think they're benign, but they're not benign, and, they, and who knows who's going to run them. And so whoever controls AI, and if it's not widely distributed, it's really problematic. And obviously there's questions of who, who runs uh, things. Elon said the best case scenario for humanity um, was that computers in the future will treat us like a house cat, um, meaning they'll be benign to us and give us food apparent and clean our litter. Um, and so I think he's absolutely right. I think that's the best case scenario if, as we embrace all these things. And so we have to think really hard. Um, I know we say we can pull the plug, but you really can't at some point uh, on, these, on these systems. They're, they're gaining intelligence um, at a rate that is faster than I think people realize. I'm not trying to scare you, but you should be scared. Um, it will be political. Oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> What a fucking asshole that guy is. <laughs> I just hate him. I just, I don't know what it is. It's just, I, I feel like I'm, he, he's doing the narrative really well. 
He's, he's playing the villain in a, rea in a show, like Dynasty. That's what's happening. I just realized that the other day. Um, but it would be political. Uh, politics will enter the picture really quickly in a lot of these things. Um, all kinds of issues around privacy, around encryption, around immigration, around all kinds of things um, are going to be intersecting with tech issues really heavily now. Some of the stuff that's being developed, cars especially, require great regulatory involvement. Most regulators are stupid. Like, really don't understand it and don't understand where it's going. So it's going to be a really difficult thing to try to introduce cars, try to introduce some of these healthcare things and everything else. And so it's, it's really important for journalists to educate um, the public on, um, on how its politicians and uh, regulatory agencies should deal with it. On the plus, on the other side, we really do need strong regulation um, to protect from these massive companies uh, doing whatever they feel like doing. Um, and I think it's, it's going to be, an, Steve Case wrote a book I'd recommend called The Third Wave, and it's how internet companies have to, um, and publishers have to really understand the regulatory implications of what's being developed in the next wave of, um, of, uh, of technological innovation. Um, right now, there's this whole bubble, anti-bubble thing. This is a story the Wall Street Journal writes every 3.5 years, just so you know. They just, like, they just drag it out, and they do the same thing. They tried to get me to write one once, and I'm like, no. You keep doing it. There's gonna, people are nervous. Hot, there's a lot of sales going on. LinkedIn selling should be a big sign to you all. There's going to be a ton of sales in the content space. Um, everything is consolidating again, as it is inevitable to do. Um, so I think you have to think, as, a, as a, the reason we sold um, uh, Recode so quickly, even though we had raised around $12 million, and we had lots of them, we had, mo we had almost all the money left was because we, I saw what was happening. I, I consider myself relatively intelligent, and I decided to do it a year before and sell, to the, sell when I could sell at the best time I could sell to the best buyer. Um, I thought things were going to get really tight in the content space, and I'd like to affiliate myself with a larger entity. And I, we picked one, Vox Media, which has wonderful ethics, led by an amazing leader, Jim Bankoff. Um, really, uh, all their other sites track on what we do. Really fantastic journalism, fun, interesting, and it's also a publisher that understands digital publishing all day and all night. It doesn't think about anything else. And so, uh, you have to be thinking as a, in the content space um, about the contraction that's going to happen, or consolidation, really. Um, and as you see these things, Jet.com sold, all these things. You're going to see a ton of this coming forward. And this just makes me laugh. So. Um, uh, I think I do pointlessly, incessantly bark. Anyway, Mark, you ready? Okay, thank you. Where do I sit? Hi, guys. I'm Mark Fennell. I'm from the Fade on SBS. I feel like lying, like, yeah, like fainting on this divan. Jeez. Just lie back and we'll talk about your childhood. Oh, right. Um, Sorry, Mark, I like myself. <sighs> anyway. You know what? I yeah. like listening to you too as a long-time listener. It's thank you. super surreal to actually see you in person. Well, here I am. Shocking. Um, okay, so of all the different media companies working at the moment, who actually impresses you? Um, I do think the Washington Post under D Jeff Bezos is super interesting. Yep. I think they're trying, I mean, obviously it's nice to be owned by a billionaire <laughs> um, who seems to not mind losing money because that's what they're doing. Um, I think that some of the stuff they're doing is really interesting. Um, obviously, the New York Times around some of its digital stuff. I'm not sure how much they can afford mm -hmm. what they're doing. Uh, but I do think it's the stuff from Rio has been all their graphics. I think they're great on graphics. I don't think their video is very good. But um, I do think they're doing interesting things with graphics. I do like what BuzzFeed's doing around video. Mm -hmm. It's um, strong and really smart. Um, I, I, some, they're not smart. What am I talking about? They're stupid. The videos are stupid, but they're they're interesting. And I, There's I like would three say, Buzzfeed staff here uh, great, who are grinning good. every time you say well, that. Well, it's just like I, you know what? You have to stop doing 
um, those hello, I'm a Muslim, hello, I'm a Jew things. It's so insulting. <laughs> I have two Muslim staffers, and they just want to cry when they mm. see those. Um, I, I see the, what they're trying to do, but it's, you know, I, I like rock and roll. Like, who said you didn't? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's weird. Anyway, I do like a lot of their video stuff under Zay Frank, who's super smart. Um, and I would say Snapchat. I think it's really interesting. Discover is really interesting in my stories, which Instagram just stole yep. outright. Um, I do think that's a different kind of uh, media, and I think it's great, these stories. I've been trying to do more Snapchat lately, but I think uh, the guy who runs uh, Snapchat is a very difficult young man, but he's also super smart. And that was a nice way of saying he's an <laughs> asshole, but he's not. He's not. Um, he can be, he can be, he, I actually like him now, but, um, which is to say I didn't before. Um, and he was, uh, he's just, the stuff he's doing, he's clearly visionary in terms of producing products that are really interesting about telling stories. I think the My Story thing is great. Um, I think it's really, I think it's smart, and it's a great way for journalists to tell stories, too. What do you use Snapchat for? Because you did a, a really, possibly the <coughs> only good interview with uh, Kim Kardashian I've ever heard. Thank you. Where she two of them. I did two of them. She basically sold you on, on Snapchat in, in, in that she interview. She did. She did. No, she's, I've been using Snapchat for a while, but um, she's a really interesting character. The reason I had her on stage, I brought her uh, to uh, code mobile many year, two years ago because I noticed she had like 700 million social media followers which was more than anyone else mm. right and they still called her a stupid whore and I was like well he, she has 700 social media followers she did a really successful game mm. um, and she in, in and a lot of people had tried and hers was successful she's a, she you, you can argue all you want about that show I don't I don't watch it myself that much apparently I've been on it um, but because uh, <laughs> they brought their cameras I didn't see it but um, you know, she's very smart in how she uses social media as a celebrity, and so I wanted to bring her there to talk about what it's like to be a celebrity in the modern age, and mm. she's just the, the top-notch person who's doing it. And, you know, it's interesting, because when I called her, she's like, are you sure? <laughs> like, she was like, why do you want to talk to me? And I was like, because I think what you're doing is smart. She goes, no one ever tells me that. And I'm like, well, you are. Like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Which is interesting. And she gave me a really good interview, and then we did a podcast around her kimojis. Yep which sell like crazy. Incredible. Again, another, she does them with Kanye, apparently, I don't know, but <laughs> whatever. They sit up at night and think, which butt shake should we do? If you um, haven't listened to this podcast, you should absolutely listen to it. It's great. It's, one of the most it's incredible great. Things. And then there's a second one of the original interview with her, but I think she's, um, now suddenly she's on the cover of Forbes, the smartest social media. I was like, and everyone literally laughed. I got so much crap on Twitter, and I was like, <laughs> screw you. I know, I, she's, she's fascinating. Um, and the other one that I, the other choice was The Rock and Vin Diesel, apparently. They're very good at social media. Mm. Well, The Rock's got his app that, yes. you know, just sells like crazy. Yeah, exactly. So why dismiss it? Because journalists are snotties. So coming back to what you use Snapchat for, what do you actually use it for? Um, I've been trying the stories now mm -hmm. myself. Um, I've been trying, you know, we're not, a, we, uh, some Vox properties are on Discover. I think that's harder. That yep. I don't have the staff to do that. Um, so I want our, we do a lot of quick things, stories when we go to events. Um, just to get people, it's, listen, it doesn't link to anything. It doesn't make us money. It doesn't do anything. It just cr uh, raises awareness. Same thing with Facebook Live videos. You know, they're paying people to do it, including us, um, to do them. But uh, they're, they're, you know, we, like today we did a story on the one-year anniversary of Alphabet. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're still confused. Um, that's basically what our story says. What? Um, <laughs> so uh, it's confusing. Don't, they act smart. It's not smart necessarily. Um, so we were... Um, we, we use it for that. We did a Facebook Live video. We do those all the time. We, we used to do Periscopes, but Facebook Live video is more effective. Yeah. Um, we, um, you know, we use Twitter for different, we use everything. 
But not, none of it makes us money. I can just gets awareness and then sometimes brings us back to our pages where we do make money. How sustainable is that? Because there's a lot of things like that at the moment. There's instant articles and things that are you yeah. know, pulling you away from where you used to make money, which is you know, on the page. We don't, we don't make money on our website. We make money from our events. Yep. Um, we, we broke even with all things D over a number of years, after a few years. But advertising really, you know, sponsorships are really important to us. Um, the podcast is very lucrative. Uh, shockingly lucrative, great CPMs. Um, yeah, I'm always going to buy a Casper mattress. No, you're not. Because <laughs> yeah. you would. When, yeah. If you decide to buy a mattress, I you should might. buy a Casper mattress. Um, it's, it's a nice mattress, I can tell you. <laughs> I have one. Um, it's, uh, Save it for your own podcast. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, you know, it's just, it, there's lots of ways to make money. We make them through the podcast, which are turning into a, a great revenue stream and a profit stream. Uh, it costs nothing to make podcasts, so everything is, goes right to the bottom line. Um, our events make enormous amounts of money. Um, which we consider live journalism. So, you know, I don't, a lot of people are like, well, you don't make money on the website, but you do on the events. I'm like, why? Do you, like, this is a typical journalist question because yep. they don't know anything about business. I'm like, it's the same thing because if we didn't have the year long website, we couldn't have had the conference. Like, we couldn't, because people are interested in us and they know they want to come and talk to us because we're journalists. And so it's all, it's all the same product. It's all the same thing. It's just, it's just different separate ways of doing it. And just because, one is a loss leader. It doesn't mean it's cr not critically important to the entire endeavor. The reason the podcast works is because the site works. And the reason the site works is because of the events. And because, so, you know, I always, the, the girls always think they're gotching me. What hasn't mm. worked? Oh, we've been pretty good so far. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes series, some so just some series stuff. We thought we could get sponsored, some journalistic things. Uh, we tried to get a city series going with an, an event attached to it. It was much harder than we thought. Um, yeah. So we abandoned it. We abandoned things all the time that don't work. But we try everything. That's the thing is I think you have to be uh, s uh, very um, willing to try things. Come on, at Silicon Valley, you don't abandon things, you pivot, right? No, we don't pivot. <laughs> we don't. I'm trying to think of something. We haven't really. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What's the most overhyped company at the moment that, that will turn out to be garbage? Oh, so many. What shall I pick from? Um, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, I don't think that's the frame of mind in Silicon Valley right now. I think it's all these unicorns with their ridiculous valuations. Mm. I think that's really... I think you have to look more towards the bigger companies and wonder what will happen to a company like Apple. Can yep. they continue to innovate? I mean, that's a real driver of the economy there. And um, I think that, you know, you wonder how they can... Look, this is a group of people that's been at it for 30 years and has done an astonishing hit after hit after hit. And But you do wonder at some point if they're like the Rolling Stones on tour, right? They're not quite the Rolling Stones of mm. yore. You know what no. I mean? But, but still, still incredibly <laughs> profitable. Yes, exactly. So the question is, can they continue? With, and it's the same group of people and they're older and, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong. Age doesn't stop you from being innovative, but they've done it 20 times. Can they keep doing it again? And do you so, think they can? Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I always hope. I hope for the best, right? So I don't know. We'll see. And I think that I think with I do think you bring in new voices, and it doesn't have to be a young voices necessarily. But I think you uh, companies are bringing in new people is always good. You can say the same thing about Google, though. And, oh, and I guess one I of definitely could say the same thing about Google. But one of the arguments with with Alphabet is that they diversified, or they sort of codified the diversify so that they could constantly build new things. Do you think that is working? Um, I think that was just, uh, they just were reshuffling things. I don't think that invigorated, I think people are very frustrated there at Google. I think Why? there's, uh, uh, we're working on some stories about this, but I think that, um, I think the founders are not as engaged as other founders. I think um, Mark Zuckerberg is highly engaged. Jeff Bezos is highly engaged. Evan Spiegel is highly engaged. Sheryl uh, Sandberg is highly engaged. Uh, you know, and she talked about some tragedy she's had in her life recently. Mm -hmm. She's still highly engaged. Guys at Google, are, I don't know where they go all day. They aren't. They aren't highly engaged. And so I think a company where that happens, and they created the structure in order for Larry Page not to speak to anyone ever again. You know, that's 
makes you wonder. Problematic somewhat. I, I, he just doesn't want to speak to anybody, but he's running the company. So stop running the company. Or I, you know, I don't know. But so I think, you know, and, and of course the Google people call, of course he calls me every month. And I'm like, every month? Like, what <laughs> do, you know, what is he like? Anyway, I, I just think it's, I think they have to, they've lost some people recently and I think there's more to come and we'll be writing about one soon. Um, she was literally writing an article yeah, before um, she came on this going on. We've got an hour. <laughs> We're calling Google in 15 minutes, by the way. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a problematic thing if, if the founders are not engaged the way they need to be. In yeah. the last couple of years, we've seen this real cult of personality built around major leaders in Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. I guess the, the archetype is Steve Jobs, but Zuckerberg and Bezos are, are iconic now. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's it's helpful uh, that they that they have this celebrity status? It's uh, well, I don't think they can avoid it. They're so rich. People love rich people, right? Or not, not they don't hate rich people, but they love reading about rich people. Um, I think that it, things are driven by singular people. I do think it. I think it's throughout history that's been clearly the case, and especially in, in technology. I mean, Steve Jobs made that company, even though there was tons. I mean, it wasn't like he was Willy Wonka and everybody else was mm. the Oompa Loompas, but but he crafted the image. He crafted of being the image. He, he was there. He was involved. He was vibrant all, to the very end, by the way, um, and another person who worked literally up until he died, mm. um, and didn't think he was going to die. Didn't he went out with Walt once? He's like, I'm not dying. I'm doing this on TV. He was talking about his TV aspirations to Walt like weeks before he died. Like, you know what I mean? Like he had aspirations. He was just he was just driving it. Now you can whatever you want to say about that as a person. He was just he wanted to innovate constantly. What happened with Apple's TV? I mean, obviously, the release of <laughs> Apple it. TV, but is it is it everything that Steve imagined it to be? Uh, I don't. I don't think he had a time. I don't think he had time to really uh, to pivot it, but really tweak it. I don't mm. think he had time to tweak it. It's certainly not that interesting, for mm. sure. Apple TV is not that interesting. It's not. It's not like it's wow. A, it's a really good Roku. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Roku's just the same, or Amazon. I, you know, what Netflix has done is really innovative, kind of thing. Like, could could Apple have done that? I don't know. Maybe. I want to go back to some examples of people that we should should watch. Um, and you went through a whole bunch of things up on the stage a little bit earlier. In video, specifically, is there anybody that you think is doing a particularly interesting job? Uh, meaning <laughs> making videos? Yeah. Um, again, I think Vox Media is actually, Ezra Klein at Vox Media, I think his anti-Trump stuff is frigging fantastic. I think he's going to be killed if Trump, um, he's going to be taken and mm. disappeared at some point. But uh, I think they're really strong and he's, he's he's developing a brand around that. Like not a brand around attack because I think he, he means it. He, he absolutely means it. It's that he's, he's having, he has a point of view and he makes a persuasive argument. I think those, and all it is is him standing there and then cutting away. I think that's, there's some nice graphics. There's too. some nice yeah. graphics, but it's pretty basic. It's not you don't have to do a lot to do great video. Um, I think some of the again some of the videos from BuzzFeed they're obviously really well done. They get a little formulaic. That's what I would say is they rely on and they work. Obviously the formulas work. Um, I I see I, you know I obviously interesting enough a lot of the comics do a really good job with video. Okay. You know, all the late night show hosts. I think that's really yeah, interesting. Course, John Oliver again he's just sitting at a, you don't get to watch it. I tried to watch him here and I couldn't get him. Yeah, let's really not talk about Geo. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but anyway, John is great, and he does a lot of things that are really cool, and, and they're very basic. I think it's just, again, it goes to what I was saying, is the narrative and the story and the content are most important, period. Period, 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 period. Unless you do something really awful in presenting it. There's been a rollout of a lot of, uh, a lot of media organizations are rolling out bots and Facebook chat bots. Yeah. Where do you think that's going? I don't, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I think it's just it's just it's just a help desk, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's really it. I mean, I think people make a bigger deal of it. Um, it's just a better way to interact and answer simple questions and be responsive. That's what it seems like. Um, I, I don't. I think the, I think 
for some reason, journalists got on bots like crazy. Why do you think that is? Because journalists get on stupid things like crazy <laughs> all the time. <laughs> oh, it's bots! Ah! What do you we're like we're like birds. Oh, look, look, look. In your decades of covering technology, what do you reckon is the dumbest trend you've ever seen? Oh, so many. You're giving, um, um, you know, a lot of them come back. I, you know, some of them, like, I've been pretty right about a lot of things. I remember when I met the founder of eBay, Pierre Omidyar, who I like quite a, he's a lovely person. Um, and he explained this to me, and I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've heard. Like, I remember, <laughs> I rem he always reminds me. Um, you would, though, right? I, if you yeah, were that guy. yeah. He's a nice guy, though. Uh, you know, I think I think a lot of it, like there was early versions of um, everything, hmm. and they didn't work at the time. And I think what you try to, on one part of technology when you're covering it is there's way too much cheerleading of everything. You know what I mean? Like there's just way too much. Like secret, I didn't like, but I understand. Yep. I have a feeling that's coming back in some way. You know what I mean? Like that I shouldn't dismiss the concept or Google Glass. I don't want to dismiss it was stupid product. But it doesn't mean the concept, you have to like separate the two. And I, what I said in an interview recently with New York Magazine is that the problem is a lot of this stuff is cool. A lot mm. of the stuff around the body, around the, uh, you know, the quantified self, around um, all stuff like that um, is really interesting. And you have, to, um, you have to separate maybe this particular version of it isn't right, but the concept is great. So I spent a lot of time doing that. Years ago, I, 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 many years ago in the 90s, I, there was a thing where you had a pen on a, with a special phone and they gave you a catalog and that's how you ordered food, you mm. know? Like you just, you took your pen over it. And I remember thinking, this is stupid and glitchy, but I remember thinking the idea is right. Like the concept of ordering food digitally <coughs> is correct, but this was wrong. And so that's what I think is hard to do. I mean, you don't want to be the person, um, which I said in New York Magazine, is standing, watching Orville and Wilbur Wright doing the plane and going, Oh, that's not going to work. <laughs> oh, those wings are too short. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the p point is flight. Flight is the point and once they get it that doesn't nothing else matters and getting there. And I think sometimes you have to be a little a little bit of a cheerleader on the con like a self-driving cars. I I think you're I'm so excited about what's happening around that and Anything that can happen that can make it possible, I think, is important. For How us. do you think they're going to get over this? There's a psychological leap that a lot of people are going to struggle with. You know, we are so ingrained to sit behind a car and be in control. Yeah, but we're of not. It. We did, they, they just introduced cars a hundred years ago, right? Like, so what? We're not. Oh, I reckon people are going to struggle with it. No, they're not going to struggle. Some, I'm telling you, in 50 years, owning a car is like going to be owning a horse. <laughs> like, oh, I have a horse at a car at home. I ride it around my ranch. Like, it's just you're not going. You're going to get over it. You've gotten over a lot of things that you don't. People, people adapt to technology really quickly. Um, just think of the phone, the f cell phone. I mean, I had a I carried a suitcase around the Washington Post. It was a suitcase, and it was the only one they had. And I used to borrow it all the time and carry it around. And I was like, this is going to be small. Everyone like, <laughs> made fun of me, but I was like, this is going to be tiny. This is going to be little. It's not going to be a suitcase. It's not going to, you know, and everyone was like, ah, these phones next to our desks attached to the desks are great. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But yeah. then everybody adapted almost. Uh, people adapt so It's fascinating, especially young people. The, adapt the adoption rate is really fast for a lot of things. And, you know, just th think about, um, I was with my kids um, a while ago, and um, when they were littler in Los Angeles, and we passed a, um, a payphone, mm. and it was near a, near a, somewhere. Mm. And they were both like, what's that? A thing for drug dealers. It was, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> really, they, they don't have them anymore. You can't find no. them, by the way. But every now and then you come across one that works. And I was like, that's a payphone. And they're like, what's it for? <laughs> and I was like, well, you made, when you were out, you didn't have a phone, and so you made calls on it. And they're like, how? And I was like, you put money in, and then you talked on it. And they're like, that's filthy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I was like, it was filthy. And so... <laughs> 
but you <laughs> you stopped using you stopped using that right away. It just people just adapted like right away. And so think about all those jobs of people who maintain cell phones. I mean, people adapt almost continually. Is there an older piece of technology, something that's been superseded, that you're going to miss? Miss an older piece of technology? Cam cameras. Old I love camera old cameras. Fi film cameras. <laughs> yeah, I like film. I Why? miss film. I don't know. I just I like the noise they make. I like I like developing. I had a dark room. I liked it. Again, it'll be a hobby. Um, I think digital, you don't spend as much time doing as good a job because you can take 50 versions of it, and so you're not as disciplined about doing your... I, I, was, I was a pretty active photographer for a long time. Do, and you think, do you spend a bit of time thinking about how that changes us? I mean, you talk a lot about how we've, we're ready-made to adopt things quickly, but there is an imp impact on us. It changes us. Yeah, absolutely, but you use them. I, mean, I like the typewriter. I, love it. I have a typewriter. I use it all the time, but... You know why? <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it's I just like it. I just like it as for myself. I have a, I have a Seclectric. You know the one that goes. Ch -ch 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 -ch. I just like it. I like it reminds me of when I was younger. And, and then I have an old old one that is you, know, you have to really hit hard. <laughs> um, and I have it because I like it. I just like it. But I don't I don't want to use it as a listen. It's much easier to do everything on my phone or on a laptop. You mentioned you talked a little bit about wearables before and as you've sort of covered the fact that it is, it's really, um, it's at an infant stage at the yeah, moment. Yeah, it is. I call them unwearables, all of them. Where do you think is the, most, is the most promising um, You know, the Apple Watch has been a disaster, I think. And so, fact. You know, yeah, oh, Complete yeah. fucking <laughs> fact. Yeah, I don't have one. I, you know, I had, I, of course I had one, and I look at what I got. $800 waste of money. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I don't know why it's a failure. I, I, it's, conceptually, it should work, right? It sort of should work. It's just not useful. <sighs> There's two. There's like one yeah. thing you can do on it, like tell the time, right? Yeah. So, and you know, you get to see your. I can see them here. It just doesn't solve a problem. And so, but uh, you know, I know the Fitbits are fine. I've had all of them. I've had all the jawbones. I, I like get rid of them on a regular basis. I have a drawer full of them. And mm. so, it's like bread makers. Like I don't know why I don't use it, but I don't use it. So I can't. I can't tell you why. I just. It's not a satisfying thing. And certain things I use over. It's just like apps. I, I try a lot of them and then I end up using six. Mm. So What are the six? Uh, Twitter, texting, um, texting as an app sort of. Um, apps for certain, like the New York Times app. Yep. For, I use that. I like it a lot. Um, probably less than six. Uh, the mapping. Mapping's been amazing. Right. I mean, think about so the, finding... the classics, really. Nothing yeah. terribly yeah. out Well, right. mapping's amazing. What's happened around mapping is just astonishing. And, and, uh, and it, you think of trying to get somewhere, call, uh, calling someone. I don't know anybody's phone number anymore, right? Mm. The kind of things. But Matt, think of trying to get somewhere without We've that. We've completely anymore. lost that part At the same of time, brain. like I was just here. We went out to Manly yesterday and stuff. And I was consulting this lot and about restaurants and things like that. And I actually found a restaurant without doing that. I just wandered till I found one. And I don't do that very often God, anymore. You, you had whimsy. You yes, actually, yes. Serendipity yeah, actually I didn't like it. What's the best one? Heavens. What's the best Yelp? What's the best this? And so I think you can get sucked up into that. I, I mean, I'm trying not to. So I just wandered around till I ran into it. We're going to go to questions in really quickly. Sure. Some quick questions. But I did want to ask, is it true that you really were holding a Blackberry when your yes. child was born? True. Really? Why would I say that? If I, was, if I, I looked like an know. idiot. I looked like an asshole. It's, um, a, it's a... Really? I so was texting um, Walt Mossberg saying, oh, seven inches dilated. Like that or whatever. <laughs> And uh, and then I had an emergency C-section for stupid. My son had his thing wrapped around his neck, and so I had it in my hand, and I really was like, "Whoa, Walt, this is fun. This hurts," you know, stuff <laughs> like that. And um, and you know, texting people, and so it was the emergency C-section. It was in my hand, and they had given me an epidural, and then they gave me more. So I was yeah. from the neck down. I was incapacitated. And it was in does my make texting hard. Yes, it? right. And so it was there, though. It was it was one of the small ones. Remember the old blackberries, yep. the little ones. So it was there, and I didn't notice it, and they didn't notice it. Mm. And so we started to go in, and we got into the operating room, but it's not sterile. Like 
right? No, it's not. No, so it. they were like, what's that? And I was like, <laughs> it's my book. Oh, my God, it's there. I didn't put it down. And so they had to cover it with a bag and then tape it. It was ridiculous, but it kept buzzing. <laughs> but it, it kept buzzing during the whole thing. And the doctor, my brother is the head of anesthesia at that particular hospital, but he was not in the room. But his colleague who knows me goes, Kara, you really have to stop this. <laughs> and I was like, could you please focus on me right now and not my device? But it was buzzing throughout the whole thing. It was funny. Had, was Twitter a thing at this point? No. You, no, you wouldn't have live tweeted this? I might have. <laughs> I tweet a lot. I you like do tweet it's a lot. It's bad. It's bad. It's, I got to stop. It's getting, I getting, I, 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 I'm obsessed with Trump, and so I tweet a lot of Trump stuff, and now yeah. all the tech people, not all of them, just the assholes, are like, we don't want to hear, we want to hear just tech, and I was like, and I have this thing called get off my Twitter, and yep. I block them, like, I block people, Do you get a, and then like, they get mad, they're like, how dare you block me, I'm like, screw you, if you came up to me on the street, I'd avoid you, like, why can't I block you? Do you extract, because I extract physical pleasure from blocking people on Twitter, do, do you, you find that? I, I love it, I'm it's not my to favorite that point thing. Yet. I'm not to that point yet, I, I'm sorry that people have to speak that way to me, but, you know, too bad, I blocked them right away. Just, uh, we're going to go I'm like, I was doing the angry old man shaking his fist at the internet. I'm like, get off my Twitter. <laughs> um, you. Are you still planning on running for mayor of San Francisco in 20? At 20... this point, I am. Probably maybe sooner. We'll see. Right. We'll see. What's your platform? What's, why should, we uh, vote why should they vote for you? <laughs> I th because I think, I'm, uh, I think I'm interested in development, homelessness, and the big issues in San Francisco, which tech should be part of. San Francisco should be the most um, fast-forward, technologically adept city in the world. We have all the companies there. You know, we really do. We have this amazing population. We've got this amazing economic engine. Um, and we still, if you go there, it's disappointing what's happened around homelessness. It's depressing. When huge inequality between huge the very inequality. rich and very and, 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 you know, there's this rage between the haves and have-nots that don't need to be there. We have to involve the tech community in this and force them into, into becoming civically minded. And I think I'm the person to force them into doing that. I think uh, civic uh, duty is really important. Years ago, the banks or whoever were the big money makers used to be civically involved. The tech people are not civically involved and they need to be. Why is that? Don't, do they already think they're changing the world? Um, that's, a, that's a larger question. I th well, there's one Mark Benioff who is, but um, I think they're, I think they're selfish. I don't know, you know. How do you actually change that, though? I think uh, I think you, there's ways to do it. I'm very persuasive, so I, I think I, I believe can. you. I think they will get to that. Yep. I think they will get to that. I just think that they they can't just wander. They can't just go up and down to their beautiful towers of fantastic, you know, kale shake cafeterias and then ignore people, you know, on the street lying in front of them. They can't do it. They can't do. It. They can't. They won't. I won't let them. You know what I mean? They don't want to anyway. They want to live in a beautiful city that mm. uh, that cares for its people. And it's uh and and there's a big fight around uh population density about uh development density. There's a lot of people uh who don't want any development in San Francisco and that's just untenable. We need dense housing because one of the things that I'm really interested in is this idea. There's a thing called YIMBY. It's a group in Yes in my backyard. Oh, as opposed to yes. NIMBY, right, okay. Y NIMBY is ridiculous in a city. I mean, the rich are going to win no matter what mm. you do. They will buy up the apartments, they will develop them, and then it will force the poor people out. So unless we have a really smart way to develop, the rich will win, and we'll become a, 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 a city of wealthy people served by poor people who have to commune in, and that's just not what a city is. So that's why. Ladies and gentlemen, do you have questions? Oh, thank God. Don't be, the, don't yeah. be that audience and sit there and yes. go, ah! Oh. Plus you're journalist, yes, so what's working. wrong with you? Um, Cara, thank you. Um, Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Journos love Twitter, but um, mums and dads aren't there. What do you no. think the future of that Nobody's platform there. is? I think the company will be sold. To who? Uh, Google, Facebook, Apple. There's all kinds of... There'll be a lot of bidders for it. Um, it's a question of 
whether Jack Dorsey will allow it to happen or else it will be forced upon him. I think. Do you have a timeline, do you reckon? Next six months. Six months. Twitter, sold. I don't know. I mean, I think they've been trying all this live streaming stuff now, um, which is really promising. A lot of the live streaming stuff is interesting. Mm. But, but as you say, the live stream Facebook does better. No, 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 no. That's, that's Facebook. That's, that's Facebook live videos. Live this videos, is, this sorry. Is, this is, if you're Comcast and you want to give some of your rights, you know, you buy the Olympic rights, you don't want to give them to Google. You're mm. not going to do anything with Google. Why would you help Google? Um, but Twitter's a sort of an easier company to work with. Um, and, and you're not scared of Twitter. Uh, in the way that you wouldn't want to work with Facebook or Google at all, because they'll they'll suck up every bit of value out of it. Was there something Twitter could have done five years ago that would have not left them in this position? N not pretend they were Facebook. Right. That was a, that was the original sin. Not act like they were Facebook. I don't know. It's hard. It's, I think they haven't. You know, actually, you know what? They haven't innovated their product at all. They did not innovate their product, not at all. It's not easier to use. It's really hard. It's not uh, accessible. They've bought some really promising. They bought Periscope, and yet they're losing. Like they're, they're, it's a great product. The guy who runs it's brilliant. Um, but they didn't. They didn't buy Instagram. <coughs> Something happened. I mean, I wrote a piece about yeah. what happened, but um, they didn't buy Instagram. They didn't. Do, you know, it's ex everything is execution in life, and I think that they uh, they they overestimated their own press. I think. All right. Who else has a question? They should have sold to Facebook, frankly. Hi. Uh, for journalists, entrepreneurs, what's your thinking on corporate partnerships Meaning from an uh, ethical kind of perspective and also a practical perspective? What do you mean corporate <coughs> partnerships? I'm talking about... Um, Yesterday we had a talk by a guy from Junkie Media and one of his, um, his like five <coughs> different propositions and one of them is a website that's done in partnership with um, Qantas. It's called AWOL. Um, yeah. So they're producing well, content. People like to consume it. Yeah. Um, you know, what is that native publishing? Those are those um, custom ad deals. They've been, yeah. they've been happening forever in magazines, They right? have, but yeah. this is something that's um, growingly a part of what media offering is. It's sort of a new relationship between businesses and journalism, where they encroach more on journalism than they ever did before, maybe. I don't think say. journalists should be involved in those. They can no. have other people do them, but mm -hmm. I don't see how it's anything but an ad, an advertorial, right? It's yep. just a glorified ad. You know, at one point we were going to have a space on our site that people, that, that, sponsors of our code conferences could create their own websites. I'm fine with that, but not with our help. You know, and we have, we publish uh, uh, sponsored content, but we label it so heavily that it's sponsored content that is super clear, and we don't help them in any way. I so a clear separation of church and state. I think you have to. I think mm -hmm. then you just become like little minions for, I don't know, Coke and Pepsi. Why would you want to do that? And what about these big companies that are buying um, media media outfits as sort of an add-on or companies that have media outfits as part of their business proposition? I'm thinking of like um, Bloomberg, for instance. Who? <laughs> Who is it? I'm sorry. Bloomberg. Bloomberg, Bloomberg right. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not, news isn't their key business, no, right? No, no, interestingly, we went yeah. to talk to Bloomberg. They, their, their terminal is their business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a little different. I mean, they need news, I mean, the people who own televisions then own networks, right? So, because they needed something to come off over the devices. Um, they were the original sponsors of a lot of television. That made perfect sense to me, that they need content to go over it. Um, I think that Bloomberg is... Um, I don't think the journalism is helping sell the terminals necessarily, <laughs> but there's no question that the terminals are the, the core of that business. We went over there to talk to them at one point about investment, and I remember seeing terminal sales on the wall. That mm. was on the wall, and I was like, we're not staying here. Because <laughs> like, they just buy us to be the China dolls they put on the shelf. That's, you know what I mean? But as a similar comparison, why... But they do great journalism, by the way. Why does Jeff Bezos need a newspaper, though? 
you know, well, it's the two as a comparison. Well, rich people have owned newspapers since the beginning of time. Eugene Meyer owned it before. He was a rich guy. Is that all it is for him, or is there actual um, value to his business? <coughs> I mean, if you're Donald Trump, you say he's trying to uh, influence policy. I think that's always been the case. Yeah. I don't... I, I, I don't think he's going to go, oh, now they'll not tax me because I own the Washington Post. I don't, I don't think that's his, it's not like him either. Um, I don't know. He just is interested in media. He wants to own it. He's a rich guy. He's got billions and billions of dollars. It's very inexpensive. Um, I think you're going to see the sale of a lot of newspapers, billionaires. Which one's going to go first? It depends on, on which, you know, like, look what happened to the <coughs> Wall Street Journal with the bankrupts. Eventually, there's enough cousins that the cousins get greedy. And then they have to sell, right? That's what happened there. Everybody was all together. They loved owning the Wall Street Journal. And then suddenly they didn't. They had some cousin who wanted some cash because he liked to go horseback riding or whatever the heck he wanted <laughs> to do. Um, you know, you could see that happening at the, at the New York Times, although that family seems pretty together. But there's going to eventually, eventually, you know, these generations don't want to own the, Someone doesn't want to own the New York Times. But these, this family does. I mean, you know. And then there's, you know, Murdoch, what will happen to all his papers all when right. he dies. We've got two questions we're going to go to. I'm just about to call you Beard and McBeard face. I'm probably not going to do that out loud. Oh, shit, I did. <laughs> I'm Perry Strathern from did Fairfax you call him Media. Beard face? Also known as Beardy, no, no, yes. Beardy and McBeard face. Uh, okay, Beardy yeah. McBeard face. It's much better um, that way. Okay. You, you talked about inequality in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what your thoughts were on people in rural areas, people elsewhere in the world. Um, um, the people who still do have horses, who aren't up to cars yet. Yeah. Uh, how hard is it inside the bubble to keep in touch with the Trump well, voters and the know, people who yes, don't understand? Yes, there are people who have horses, not cars, but most people have cars, most people have phones. This is not, like, we're not, people are not living, they're living in poverty, but there is sort of availability of a lot of things that we have, uh, cell phones being one of them. I think that's a really interesting trend across the globe is that these smartphones are getting so inexpensive and so helpful to so many people. We had a bunch of people come to one of our conferences we flew them in, uh, subsistence farmers in India. We had some nurses in, uh, in the very rural parts of Brazil. Uh, we had some teachers in another, uh, I think, Cambodia, in a very small part of Cambodia, uh, in a very rural part of Cambodia. And um, we had them coming in to talk about their uses of mobile, which was interesting, um, and how, they, how they're adapting it. I think it's benefit, uh, you know, to, to any of, any, anyone that's isolated, these mobile and the stuff that Google's doing around Loon, <coughs> Loon and Facebook's trying to, to have... And look, they, all, they want you to use their products, really. That's why they're doing it. It's not because they're, they're for, the, for their great souls, they're not doing it. They're doing it so you use Google and Facebook. Um, but, you know, we have libraries in the United States because Andrew Carnegie felt guilty about being such an asshole. <laughs> like, great. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, and so I think, they, I think you'll see more and more of these technologies going to rural areas because of wireless and, and, and ability, connectivity. That's really the, the key. Um, interestingly, we brought all these people, these incredibly fantastic people who, from subsistence areas, really, uh, into New York, and uh, we had the hurricane at the same time. So we literally brought them into the hurricane and then stranded them there. Um, and they were lovely about it. But, and then we had to fly them back home and then back when we redid the thing. But we were up in a, uh, we, were we had this big, great talk in this Rosie O'Grady's in Midtown in the middle of the hurricane with these subsistence farmers from India. Um, in a bar. <laughs> it was really weird. <laughs> I felt bad. I'm like, so sorry to bring you here for the hurricane. Um, but it's, uh, I, think, I think a lot of these mobile technologies that are being rolled out and some of these connectivity things are going to uh, equalize. Um, that's the hope, is they're going to equalize um, development and ability to have knowledge uh, about medicine, about prices, about all kinds of stuff. One last question down front.
So what could an individual journalist start doing right now to be more transparent, more open and start rebuilding trust with their audience? Well, you know, it's such an ugly environment now. You know, Twitter just creates, unfortunately what happens is there's so much noise around that you're not wrong, but people don't like it. Do you know what I mean? Like one of the things that I get is when we write something tough, I get all these, oh, that's clickbait. It's like, no, it's not, it's true. It's, you know what I mean? They don't like it. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of ability to attack you. So that's, that's one thing, and you've got to fight back about that. Like, if you're right, you're right. Like, if you've done your work. Um, it, and the other part is, like, some people we cover just don't believe what, you know, you know we say they were um, let go, and they say, I resigned. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And it's like, they were let go. Like, it's, it's hard. You know, that's the problem is you've got um, to stick to your reporting guns. If you have great reporting, that's really your last, that's your defense in everything. Um, and, and at the same time, I think that you should be willing to engage with readers over a story. I always, if someone makes a fair point, I will say that is a fair point and I'm going to go change that. Like, I, we just do it and, we're t and, we'll, and we, we, we update it and we annotate it that we changed it. Um, but if there's something that I said just slightly wrong, I mean, I think journalists have been too, like, get their backs up and won't change things. And we're super willing. If we're wrong, we say it. We're very clear that we were wrong. Doesn't happen very often, um, but we're very clear about that. And I think, I think people are always surprised when I say you're right. I'm going to change that. They're like, what? Like they're expecting me to say, you know, no, or you're an idiot. And so I think that's <laughs> one thing. Um, uh, and then the other thing is just trying really hard to get it right and training reporters. I think one of the things that we do well is train our reporters to be great reporters. And I think that's lost in journalism now. There isn't. People try to poach our reporters all the time because we. They're like. I, and it's big publication. I'm like, can't you train? I got trained at the Washington Post under Ben Bradley. We got trained. Like, and they don't do that. And I am used to that. And I do that with our reporters. And so does Peter Kafka and other more senior reporters. And I think that's not going on. You know, they just uh, there's a lot of. I had one person who he just loved to reblog. I hated that. <laughs> like, he just loved it. And he, you know, he got famous doing it. And he thought that was success. Um, and he left uh, for somewhere. And and he didn't want to. Be better. He just that he got he got his version of success. I think there's no success in reblogging people's other people's work, um, but for some reason, just because he did, had a clever way of doing it, he thought that was journalism, and it's not. And you know, and I said that. I was like, so you want to be willfully superficial? Go for it. Good for you. You know. And he was like, that's mean. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not mean. I'm telling you the truth, and I wish you would push yourself a little harder to be a better journalist. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have time for. Great. Put your hands together for Kara Swisher. Thank you. Very good. You've been listening to the Walkley Talks podcast. Sign up to our newsletter at walkleys.com slash subscribe. Find us on Stitcher or SoundCloud or iTunes, and please rate us there. This podcast is produced by me, Kate Golden, for the Walkley Foundation, with help from the two SER studios in Sydney, Australia. Till next time.